Let's pray. Lord God, as we open your word, we are reminded that it is your word given to us that we would know you. We praise you, Lord, for our eyes and our ears open to the truth and wonder of who you are. Lord God, I pray that you help us to soak it in and and live it out. We give ourselves to you this morning in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So when's the last time you pulled a Moses and and you went before God and you saw him face to face and spoke with him directly and heard back from him an audible voice? Anybody? Or, Or when's the last time you were in this terrible situation and you saw an angel swoop down and take that car that was in front of you and move it off to the side so that you could safely go through because you forgot to hit the brakes. Anybody? No? If we don't see God taking action, is he? As we read this passage this morning together, I want you to look carefully as we read through it and and try to see where God is in this passage. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 23. We're starting at verse 12. Acts chapter 23, starting at verse 12. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Acts 23, 12, it says, When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now therefore you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly, and we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him, brought him to the tribune, and said, Paul the prisoner called me, and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand, and going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than forty of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready two hundred soldiers with seventy horsemen and two hundred spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him. 
having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And on the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Reading of God's word, go ahead and be seated. Thank you. Did you see God in there? Verses 12 through 15, a certain group of Jews plot against Paul, 40 of them, taking an oath to kill him. Verses 16 through 22, Paul's nephew hears of this plan and then brings warning to Paul and the tribune. Then in the rest of the passage, verses 23 to 35, the the Roman tribune takes action and he delivers Paul safely to Caesarea with a guard of about 470 soldiers, sending along a letter to explain the situation to Felix while taking a bit of credit for himself, of course. Felix does what comes natural to him, asking Paul where he's from, checking to see where he's from, and, and to find out if he'd really have to deal with the situation. Finding out that he's from Cilicia, he says, okay, I'll give you a trial. We have some narrative here that that just in these verses seems to be a bit absent of God's presence, isn't it? Did you see reference to God in there? The Lord? Paul is in pretty dire straits, isn't he? The, The severity of this oath is brought out by being spoken of three times, verses 12, 14, and 21. These men have taken an oath to kill Paul. They aren't going to eat or drink anything until the job is done. These men were, as David Peterson describes, perversely religious. Even bold enough to go to the Sanhedrin, the elders of Israel, and give them direction. Here's what we've done. Here's what you're going to go do. By all rights, Paul should be dead. Um, God, we we could really use your presence right here, right now, couldn't we? If it wasn't for Paul's nephew, Paul would be dead, wouldn't he? Was God involved in this? He isn't mentioned once, actively or passively. No, No prayer, no nothing. But did you know that there's an entire book of the Bible that does not mention God once? The Old Testament book of Esther. Not a single mention of God, not a single mention of the Lord. No prayer, no nothing. If God isn't talked about, if God is not addressed directly, If God isn't seen, was he there? 
Is God active when we cannot see him? This is a very important question for all of us who go through this life without special visions of God or direct commands as Paul received or Moses or any of the Old Testament prophets that received direct words from God, right? As we walk through this life trying to live it as Christians, believing without seeing, when we are confronted with the difficult stuff, the trials and the challenges, the family issues, whatever it might be, stuff at work, stuff at school. Where is God? This is part of the point of a passage like this, or a book like Esther. You can't see God. You may not hear his voice, but God's hand is always in the mix. Romans chapter 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. In that verse, it calls us to remember that we worship the God of providence. Providence is that doctrine of the governance of God. The governance of God. The biblical idea that God is able and he is involved. He is able to be involved and he is actively involved in everything. In his omniscience. The fact that God knows everything. Past, present, and future. Infinitely and eternally. He knows it all. In his omnipotence, his, his power that is without limit or boundary and yet under perfect control. In his omnipresence, the fact that he is everywhere all at once. There's nowhere to hide or to flee from his presence. As the author of Hebrews reminds us, we all stand naked before him. Doesn't that feel revealing? Hebrews 4.13, we are naked before God, even as we sit here clothed. He knows it all. Let's not think that we can hide it from him, whatever it may be. God, in his grace, in his mercy and, and love, in his justice, in his righteousness and holiness, in his omniscience, in his omnipotence and in his omnipresence cares for guides and provides for all things in his creation he is constantly actively intimately involved in every aspect of our lives whether we see it or not and we can see it in the pages of god's word let's take a look at who God is. Who is this God that we lift up words of praise to? Is he worthy of it? Hebrews 1.3 He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he upholds the universe, everything in creation, by his 
word of power, by the word of his power. Colossians 1.17. He, Jesus, is before all things. And in him, all things, all means all, and that's all all means, right? All things, think about something. Think about something random, the piece of lint on the floor in front of you. It's held together right now by God. No part of creation is self-sufficient. I did not knit myself together. God is actively involved in the sustenance of the natural world on a universal level at every moment in time. For those of you who like tools, it's like a drill, right? And when you squeeze the trigger on the drill, it's running, right? It's running because you are actively making it run, right? God's finger never leaves the drill, but he is constantly making it run. If he were to let go, nothing would exist. It would all stop. Apart from his will, we are not. And he remains sovereign over all that he has created. Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 to 35, we are reminded of that very sovereignty of God. King Nebuchadnezzar, He went nuts. He started eating grass like a cow. Do you remember that? He comes out of it and he says, At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will amongst the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar. Did you hear it in, in, even in what he said? He said, I, Nebuchadnezzar, the man who was once the greatest king on earth, the most powerful man that stood on the earth at the time, was humbled by God. He was made to realize that there is one more sovereign than any man could ever be. God is actively involved in the rise and the fall of nations. He's actively involved in kingdoms and and dynasties. Just as Paul told us uh, in the Oropagus at Athens in this very book of Acts that we've been looking at in, in Acts chapter 17. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, 
since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. I love how in this declaration that Paul makes, he ties together the grand providence of God with the the very detailed providence of God. Not only is he the God of creation and the God of nations, the one who sets their boundaries into place, their times that they should exist, but in him we move and breathe and have our being. He sustains not just the earth, but everything in it. He he is deeply involved in who you are. Psalm 139, it tells us that he knit us together in our mother's wombs. Every last detail, every last cell is in its place because he put it there for you. Luke chapter 12, 6 through 7. Jesus reminds us, are not, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Five sparrows for nothing from a human perspective. And not one of them is forgotten by God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. He knows how much hair he would give you. How much hair you would lose. And he cares for you. Even if you're balding a little bit. He's interested. He's interested and invested in the most minute detail of your life. Proverbs 16.9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his step. Every step you take, known and established by God. Psalm 139, 1-6, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts. He's in your head from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge... It's too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Our God is vast. Our God is able. And our God is involved. Let's be in awe a little bit this morning of the God that we have gathered to worship. We aren't just gathered together in a room absent-mindedly. 
we sit here before the God of all creation, the king who oversees the universe and knows every last detail of our lives. Good and bad, right and wrong. He knows the words that you're going to say when you're going to leave this place. The ones you're going to say in private. The words you think nobody's ever going to hear. The ones you think in your head. As C.H. Spurgeon said, Providence is wonderfully intricate. Ah, you always want to see through Providence, do you not? You never will. I assure you, you have not eyes good enough. You want to see what good that affliction was to you? You must believe it. You want to see how it can bring good to the soul? You may be enabled in a little time. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But you cannot see it now. You must believe it. Spurgeon draws out a very important point of providence right here. He says, honor God by trusting him. God has many Gordian knots which wicked men may cut and which righteous men may try to unravel, but which God alone can untie. In our passage today, Paul couldn't see the hand of God at work in this situation. It wasn't physically there for him to to touch or grab hold of. He did not receive a detailed revelation as to what would come next, but he knew the God of providence. And, And Paul knew that God had a plan. Acts 23, 11, we looked at it last week. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Paul understood that God knew every last detail of how that plan would unfold, even though Paul himself did not know what it would look like. Paul knew and understood that when God has a plan, he will bring it to fruition. He will make it happen. Numbers 23 very clearly reminds us, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken? And will he not fulfill it? Rhetorical questions, aren't they? Of course he will. He is good, and he is able, and he is involved. John Piper wrote a devotional on this passage, and he had this to say. He said, Christ said Paul was going to Rome. And that was that. No ambush can stand against the promise of Christ. Until he got to Rome, Paul was immortal. There was a final testimony to be given, and Christ would see to it that Paul would give it. As we will see, not even the storms of the sea could stop the hand of God. We once knew a a dear missionary to South Africa, and, and as she was preparing to go back to South Africa, it was, it was amidst the whole apartheid aftermath. 
And she said, as her church family worried about her going back, she said, there is no safer place for me to be than in the will of God. She was an older white woman going back to a place where there was extreme racial conflict. Her her church family was concerned about her. She was returning to what the world would see as a dangerous place for her. What what could she do if she was attacked? What could she do if she was mugged or, or held up, which had become very common where she was from? She was too old to defend herself, right? But she knew that she had a call from God. She's in more danger apart from the will of God than wherever God would call her to. She knew that she was in no more danger going back to South Africa than Paul was here in our passage today. She knew that she would depart from this life not a day sooner and not a day later than God had planned, had written out for her. Because she, like Paul, was in the providential hand of God, and God's providence is sure. It is comprehensive, not leaving out the smallest detail. It has our best in mind along with his greatest glory. God is not overtly mentioned in our passage today. However, God is there. When the plot is made in the broken free will of these men, God allowed it to show that his hand, his plan, his desire to share the gospel with the known world could not and would not be stopped. God is there to open the ears of Paul's nephew and and to stir in his heart the courage to go and, and speak to Paul, to warn him and to speak to those Roman officers. God is there to move Paul on through that Roman civic system to bring him eventually to Rome according to his plan, just as he said he would. As we see the book of Acts drawing to a close, as we see, see the end of it coming near. We've been in Acts for quite some time, haven't we? About a year and a half. I hope we won't feel relief so much as conviction. Have we seen the plan of God? Have we seen the plan of God and do we desire yet to actually partake in it? To be a part of what God has planned? And are we trusting him in his plan? Are we trusting him in his providence to be there and to guide us and to guard us to the end of our days? Are we trusting him enough to participate in it, even if it should present us with challenges? If, if we are looking for the plan of God for us, if we desire that to, to be a part of God's providential will, we need to look no further than the pages of Scripture. Sometimes we want some special revelation from God, don't we? I think sometimes he waits 
And he says, I already gave you special revelation. Start living this out, then maybe I'll give you a little more detail. We need to just look at God's word and and apply it to our lives. His word that he's providentially provided for us, that we would know who he is. You don't need a vision. You don't need an audible voice from God. You've got his voice right here, sitting beside your bed. That awesome coffee cup holder you've got right there. God is at work and will work through us as we simply live out what we already know. What do we know? from our study of the book of Acts alone. Just, uh, let's pull out one verse from the book of Acts and see what we know. Acts 2.42. Talked about this one at the uh, State of the Union address the other week. What do we know just from that one verse? Be devoted to the learning of God's word and the application of it to our lives. Are we there yet? Be devoted to fellowship reaching out beyond our comfort zone to mentor, to encourage, and to build up somebody else. Have you reached out yet? Have you invited that person half your age to go to lunch with you yet? Somebody you haven't spent time talking with yet. Have you invited that person twice your age to go to coffee with you? Let's devote ourselves to sharing life on life. They broke bread together, didn't they? Let's be devoted to earnest prayer as we've seen those times of earnest prayer in the book of Acts. Individually and corporately lifting up words of praise and thankfulness and heartfelt need to God. And as we do these things, as we love one another in these ways, as we trust God in his providence to work in us and through us, We will, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we will bear witness to the person and the works of Jesus Christ in our lives, declaring the truth of the gospel with lives that align themselves with God's word and purposes. Last Friday night, uh, we had a great night of worship. If you weren't there, you missed out. We were reminded there that whether we realize it or not, think about this, whether you realize it or not, We are a reflection of Christ in us. The world around us sees Christ in us. What kind of picture are we painting? Putting God on display. Putting on display a real hope in the providential love of God or or a life of, of doubt and dismay. Which one are we putting out there for people to see? Do they see Christ in us? Can they see God at work in us even though they don't see God? But they see you as you reflect what he has done in your life. Here at Alden Union Church, let's let's live those lives of faith that, that see God's hand at work and know that he is in our midst even when we don't see him. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you as the sovereign God of all creation. And Lord, I pray that our attention to you and your word would not end as we leave this place, but it would carry on. 
Help us to take steps of faith. Help us to trust in your providence. We need your spirit at work in our lives because we are weak. We admit that before you, O God. You are the sovereign God of all creation, and we are not. And in our flesh, Lord, we are tempted, and we confess before you the temptations that we go through, the things we fail and fall in, and we need you, Lord, to carry us through, to guard us and to guide us for your active and loving hand to be present in our lives. We pray that you would do these things, and we thank you that we know you do not leave us and you do not forsake us. Lord, help us to walk according to your will, according to what we know of you from your word, to reflect Christ to the world around us. And we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.